Good to be home. Good to see you guys. Thank you. It is nice to be had. I think I'm here the next four out of five Sundays, so I'm excited about that. So, yeah, I'm trying to arrange my schedule to be here more, so it's good. So, hey, we have got something fun. We have one of our conquering heroes returning home from the Middle East with spoils for the kingdom. So if we could have Emily Schindeldecker come up here. Come on, so Emily is uh, one of our missionaries, and she's over there, and uh, so just catch us up. What's been going on in the world of Schindeldecker? So. <laughs> Thank you. It's so good to be here. Uh, really fun to see you all. Thank you so much for such a warm welcome. Um, so as some of you know, I've been overseas for the last year and a half. I spent the first 10 months uh, in Jordan actually studying Arabic, and then I moved to my current country, um, different country in the Middle East, kind of a war-torn country. Um, about six months ago. So a lot has happened since I, I've seen you because I moved there. And uh, it's just been good. I'm going to just tell you a little bit what God is doing and uh, what I've been up to the last She's being months. a little vague. She's not in a vacation destination in the Middle East. Okay, so just, uh, yeah, so it's just, it's a tough place, but uh, we're on live stream. So there we go. Yeah. Keep going. So, um, so I moved uh, to my destination in, in uh, November. And um, just started working. I work for a non-governmental organization. I don't work for them, but volunteer with them. That's how we get our visas to stay in the country. It's how we kind of can stay in the country. And um, through that, my whole team, so I, I'm on a team. It's, we're all missionaries and do life together. And we all help with this organization. Uh, it's called Operation Mercy. And we, through that organization, we hire local staff and we do different projects among uh, Syrian refugees and among people who had to escape ISIS. So I don't know if you remember, you'll yeah, tell where I live by me just telling you details, but that's okay. Um, but I don't know if you remember, ISIS was trying to commit genocide against a certain um, people group called the Yazidis in 2014. And um, so those people had to flee ISIS on foot, literally being shot at. And, um, and so I work with some of these people. So we hire these uh, refugees and these what we call internally displaced people. So they're people who are still within that country but have had to move. So it'd be like us having to like flee ISIS and um, walk to Wisconsin or something like that. And um, so we, I work with these people and it is just a delight because they themselves live in these refugee camps and, um, but then we, they serve in these camps too. I mean, we pay them, but they serve. And it is just an honor um, to work with them. So um, kind of starting, so at the beginning of this year, we also did some surgical things. I'm a nurse practitioner. I'm the only medical person on my team. And um, a surgical team came, and so I actually helped work in a, Iraqi, uh, uh, a, a national hospital. <laughs> um, it's fine, it's okay, uh, a hospital. And uh, let me tell you, it was uh, definitely an experience. Um, but I get to like mentor some of the people that I work with, my coworkers, the local staff. They, um, they're nurses, so I just getting to mentor them. And then the last several months, I've been following up with these patients uh, in their camps. I work in six different camps in this area, um, surrounding area. So some of the camps are like 15 minutes from my house, and they're huge, and they have. Um, I think 24,000 people, some of them 40,000 people. And they've been living in these camps for um, anywhere between 
four to seven years. So um, these, they're little tents. There's like a concrete slab on the bottom. Many of these people were successful in their former country. Yeah, yeah. So, so one of my first weekends, actually, when I moved to this country, so it was really good that I had studied Arabic before. Um, so when I moved to this country, I was invited to spend the weekend with one of my coworkers with her family, in, uh, and she lives in a camp. So I spent the weekend, spent the night there, sleeping on the same floor with her sisters, you know, like six of us in a small tent. And um, was, she was able to tell me her story. And um, she has nine, eight children in their family. They had like a 10-bedroom house, three cars. So they'd be like, you know, so, like you and me, like we're successful or we have resources. Um, but then ISIS came and had to, well, not all of us have three cars, but you know what I mean? And, um, and they, I mean, they were successful. They're not all poor. You know, the people that you see on the news, you might think that they're all poor. But, um, and... ISIS came into her town and they escaped and their one they escaped in one vehicle and escaped by two hours and um, two of her classmates were actually taken by ISIS and are still actually taken in Syria or ISIS brides so like it would be like your college classmate like think about that who you studied with like being taken and unaccounted for right now so these are the people I get to work with and um, they were not uh, believers before, and some of them are becoming uh, believers. They're learning about Jesus and really coming into the kingdom. So that's really exciting to get to help mentor that with yeah. my team. Um, and some of them are having uh, dreams of Jesus. One of my coworkers, the local staff, she's Syrian, so she fled the war um, in Syria and came to my country. And um, she's had two dreams of Jesus, where Jesus appeared to her in her dreams. I'm, I'm sure some of you have heard about um, Jesus coming to Muslims over there. And um, it's really crazy, but she's still resisting him. So it's not all, you know, God's still pursuing her, and we're still pursuing her. And um, But God is he, is, he is so good, and he loves these people so much that he comes to them over and over again so that, that, that they know him, that they can have eternal life, you know. So it's just really cool. Um, and then the, at the same time, this, this winter, we've kind of started this whole new program. So what my main job is to mentor these seven staff that we've hired. And um, we work with mostly children, but people with disabilities in the camp. So imagine like you can't, you're having trouble walking. But now imagine living in a tent with uh, no, um, con or no what's asphalt or anything like that to walk on. It's like mud streets. So we work and do physical therapy in their tents um, and do home physical therapy, but we've kind of shifted our, um, our vision a little bit and we've done, we started two different groups. So the first group is what we call a peer group and we've kind of put together the same, uh, like children with the same uh, medical diagnoses, so like cerebral palsy, things like that, and um, if they're the same age as well. And we um, put them together and do a short little teaching on like value or something like that. At the beginning we were doing that. And then um, they do their exercises together. And this kind of promotes like a support group for them. So it's sustainable, like if we ever had to leave, like they would be able to continue meeting. And this helps like moms get to know other moms. Because in this culture, it is so shameful to have a child with a disability. They think that it means that somebody had a sin in the past or the parents sinned or something like that and that caused this child to be disabled and um so uh 
I'll tell you a story about from that group, and then I'll tell you about the other groups. But um, with the peer groups, we did a short teaching the first four weeks, and then now we're we're doing things like at the beginning of each session, they're sharing their high from the week and their low from the week, like sharing their like favorite thing that happened that week. And that's just to promote vulnerability, which is not a thing in the culture at all, but it's just to help them have like a support group because they're so isolated in some ways. But um, so the first week we did this, we um, wrote, up, wrote up a little thing of value and our local staff taught it to um, these families with the children with disabilities, mostly the mothers. And, um, and then the next week we saw one of these moms and um, oh, so with, if you had a child with disability, you don't, they don't ever leave the tent because uh, it's a shameful thing. You don't want anybody to know that you have a child with a disability. And so they never leave. So some of these children have never left their tents. And um, so after we were talking about value and how valuable they are, um, the next week we saw the mom outside uh, with her child in a stroller. And we were like, and I know, and the neighbors, the neighbors were like, why put your, put your child back in in the tent? Like why why are you bringing her outside? And the mom was like, No, last week I learned that my child has value, and that God loves this child, and she deserves to see the mountains too, you know. The mom. So uh, yeah, it's really exciting. So like just different things are happening every week with that. And then the next group that we started, this is what has taken up a lot of time in uh, uh, in between visiting uh, post op patients around like six camps is um, wrote uh, an eight topic curriculum. Um, so what we call family groups. So we're starting this new, we, we're in the middle of this new thing where um, we want to, from the people that have disabilities, we take their whole family and we um, sit down with them. So the whole family. So you know how in the Bible in Acts 10, um, Peter Cornelius, brought in his whole family for that so that Peter could talk to them and that's how we believe that um, the kingdom will you know advance is by whole families coming to know the Lord together so and not just one person you know so what we're doing is we're sitting um, down with these families and going through this eight topic curriculum and the topics are value again value of the caregiver advocacy shame um, or versus you know cause versus shame Talking about isolation and loneliness, importance of families, because, you know, families was God's idea, and that's how God, you know, shows his love is through families. So what we do is we do a small, and by we, I mean our local staff. So um, it's not about us foreigners at all. We just train our local staff who have become believers, and they're the ones that are doing this teaching and facilitating this discussion. And, um, and they sit down, and we do a small medical teaching on something like blood pressure or how to care for burns or something like that because there's a lot of burns because there's no, they use gas, heat in the tents, um, things like that. And then we do like five minutes of small medical teaching. And then we um, talk about this topic, whatever topic it is, like value. And, and then we open scripture with them and we have their permission. But we, um, like for example, with value, we talked about Psalm 139 and for some people, They've never, you know, heard the Bible before, and they have a specific, they have a different language that they speak um, than Arabic, and they're, uh, they don't actually have the Bible in their language. Um, my friends are actually working on it, but they don't have even that translation yet. They have an oral translation, but they don't have it written, some of them, and um, 
So uh, we, they're actually reading the scripture in Arabic, and then we'll have them, if anybody can read Arabic in the family, they'll read it out loud. This is the first time they're reading Psalm, let's say Psalm 139, and then they're translating it into their mother, mother heart language, you know, like, and, and um, getting wrecked by reading this That's and then amazing. translating it for their family. And, mm. um, and people are like, so after that, like, people are asking, like, can I take a picture of that scripture? Can I, because um, I want to, like, read it for the rest of the week. You know, can you imagine not having, not having the Bible, you mm. know, and um, not having access to that or in their own language? So it's been really exciting um, so that we're getting to, like, sit down and see what Jesus says about what shame is or what uh, fam- importance of family or how he sees them, like, hemmed you in before and behind. And so it's just been really cool to sit down with these Muslims um, mostly and ha- just have them read about Jesus. And our hope is that they'll continue to want to know about Jesus and just disciple them in that um, because through that, then movements will start. So... Uh, and then one last thing I want to share about is, um, so we've been doing that a lot, and then, oh, I'll tell you one, one more story. <laughs> so, Holy Spirit. You're just like a preacher. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. In time. closing, psych. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Holy Spirit, I told me to put in the curriculum and the thing about, like, um, going around and saying something you appreciate about your family member, and um, that is so countercultural, and... So we did it, and the family, some of them were like, what is this? You know, oh, you're nice, you know, whatever. But um, some of the families were, they really, like, just spoke to each family member. And they and I and said, just pick three people. And some of them went around and said what they really appreciated about each person. And we're talking, like, daughter-in-laws are in the room, people who are, like, twice removed, you know, in the family. And, and they are getting wrecked because this so is good. not a culture where there's affirmation at all and so it just is promoting vulnerability and love and um just promoting like a gospel a kingdom culture of the kingdom you know so that's really exciting um so good and then the other thing with my team is we really focus on prayer and worship so we dedicate about 15 hours a week to prayer and worship every monday which would be your tuesday because sunday is our first day of the week there um we spend all day in prayer and worship we have a prayer room and we just really believe that, like, nothing, no movement will happen without prayer as a foundation, you know, without having, like, God as number one. And we can be doing all these great projects, but if we lose sight of God, then, you know, what do we have? So um, in the fall, we went through every prophet in the Old Testament that prophesied about our region. And we just, like, prayed into that and spoke into that, which is really exciting. And then this past spring, we went through um, just different movements that are going on in our region and praying into that and and praying into, like, what we read in Acts and things like that. So it's been really exciting to just spend so much time together um, praying and worshiping and, um, and communing together as a team. So, yeah, so thank you all so much for your prayers, for your financial support, for your uh, emotional support. I cannot, um, I just cannot thank you enough. I am so humbled by you all. Thank you. Well, Emily, if someone wanted to stay connected to you and get more regular updates, I know you kind of do a newsletter uh, so people know how to pray. If they want to um, financially support you, what would be the best way to connect with you? Oh, thank um, So if you don't get my newsletter, sometimes it goes to the spam folder. So um, you could check your spam folders, but you can also sign up. There's I think there's a mission uh, table out there. 
that you can sign up again your email um, and uh, to support I have cards out there um, that you can with my picture on it that you can put on your refrigerator do whatever you want with it and on the back it shows um, how to support uh, online it'll be tax deductible um, but it, I go through a different I go through a mission organization so it's, it all, all goes there and then they give it to me and it's only coming to me it's not getting spread out anywhere else um, and then if you would like to pray, I do have a specific prayer list for people who want to get kind of updates in between my newsletter for specific prayer requests. Um, so you can sign up for that too. So good. Yeah. Hey, why don't you stretch your hands out and let's pray for Emily, Lord. We just thank you for uh, bringing home your girl. And we pray for refreshing and uh, restoration and new vision and strength. And uh, we speak healing to that knee injury in the name of Jesus. Lord, we just uh, pray grace and peace. Well, Lord, we just thank you for the boldness and the protection and the family that you've given to her and for increase and uh, for just her being Jesus to people. And so, Lord, I just thank you for uh, what you're doing in that region that will know nothing but increase. But, Lord, bless Emily during this time. Refresh, restore, revive in the name of Jesus. All the re's. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Bless you, thank sweetheart. You. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes, uh, yeah, I was talking to a, a Muslim missionary, and uh, he said sometimes it looks like just loving people without, what did he say? Uh, loving people for no other reason than to just love them for 25 years. And so uh, he's, uh, he's seeing, he's, now he's seen over a million Muslims come to the Lord, but it took like, you know, decades to get to that point where they trusted him. And so, uh, so Emily, so thank you for what you're doing, plowing in there. All right, you guys ready? You guys were born to take territory. I don't know if you realize that. You weren't born so that you could write on your gravestone, and she paid her bills. You're not, you're not just trying to survive. We're not just trying to keep you busy to hope that hopefully you don't sin too much so you can get to heaven when you die. Like that. You were born for more than that. It's interesting. God, I don't know if you ever th thought about this. Why on earth would God put Satan in the middle of his perfect garden? Have you ever thought about this? It's like, hold on. I mean, like in our baby nursery, I never would have been like, hey, let's put a cobra there, you know, like right in the middle of the baby nursery, right? So here he has this perfect garden. He's, you know, his perfect kids, Adam and Eve, they're doing great. He puts Satan in the middle of it. And it's interesting why. It's because he wanted Adam and Eve to become like God and use the authority that they had to drive the snake right off the planet. What did he say to them? He said, uh, hey, you've been, you're, you know, you've been created in my image. Now be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue and take dominion the garden was perfect but outside of the garden wasn't perfect so they were to take out of their intimacy with the god they were to take the what was going on in the garden and expand that to the borders of the earth you were born to take ter territory it's literally in your dna it's literally in the commission of part of being a human being and so i was listening to something last week and they just had this one phrase i actually had a whole nother sermon planned i gave the guys all the slides on wednesday they're like jim we never get them this early thank you so much and i texted this morning at like 8 30 sorry guys and they're like, do you have one scripture? I'm like, I've got one. Like, yeah, here's the one verse here. But um, so I, I was teasing Sean. I'm like, this is fresh bread. And Sean says, is it so hot we're going to have gloves and, you know, oven mitts to not get burned? So I don't know if you're able to eat it, but this is all I got here. All right. So this, this could be short. It could be longer. I don't know. But um, uh, th there's a difference between adversity and warfare. Okay. They're both about taking territory, but adversity is about taking inner territory and once you've taken that inner, inner territory, you have the authority to take the external territory. A lot of times we're going and we're trying to, you know, we're going to take the nations, we're going to take the city, we're going to take the seven mountains, but we haven't taken the inner territory that gives us the authority to take that external territory. 
I remember the first time I went to Uganda, the, uh, you know, so we did a crusade, and uh, people are getting saved, and, but they're, they're, they're ter- terribly demonized. And so just so you know, uh, demons are real, and they can possess people. In America, there's just as much demonic activity. They just prefer to hide. And so they and so were there, and so you know the demons are manifesting in people, and for some reason, the pastors from Uganda are bringing them on stage, and so now there's this huge spectacle of people flailing around, and and so you know we just got their eyes in Jesus, and now they're watching this horrific scene, and so our team is desperately trying to cast out demons, and it's not working. So just imagine the scene. We made all these bold claims about Jesus. Here we are, the white people, the Americans over here. People are getting saved, and the demons are kicking our butts. They are humiliating us. And so, um, you see, this is not a good scene here. You guys are seeing here. And so, um, so we're, we're talking like we're trying for two hours to cast out demons, and none of them are coming out. And so one of the guys on our team, I'm sure he was exaggerating, but you can just imagine the point of exasperation. He's like, Jim, I've been trying to cast this demon out of this lady for two hours, and she's mocking me and sticking her tongue out at me. And he says, uh, the demons are saying they're not coming out. And, uh, and he says, if you don't come help me, I'm going to slap her in the face as hard as I can. So I'm just, you just had a, a point of desperation. So I'm thinking, all right, you know, you're bringing in the big guns. This is going to be awesome. You know, we'll show these demons what time it is. And so uh, I get there, and as I'm praying, the demon says to me in English. The person does not speak English. <laughs> the demons speak to me in English and say, you have no power. We're not coming out. <laughs> All my faith went back to America at that point. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't have any power. What's happening? And so um, we're, we're trying our best, and uh, we got our butts handed to us on a Ugandan platter. It was embarrassing, okay? And so I get back in the States, you know, and it's like, hey, you know, hey, we had some good stuff happen, but, you know, the sting of humiliation of, you know, demons speaking to you in English, telling you have no power, was fresh in my mind, let's just say. So I call up James Maloney. Uh, he's, a, he's a great minister. We brought him here. I think he's going to be here in the summer. And uh, I'm like, James, I know you've seen thousands of demons delivered. We got our butts kicked. What's going on? You know, James in just his typical gracious fashion, you know. <laughs> the reason you guys can't deliver demons is because you need deliverance. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so he's like, I'll come to your church and do a deliverance weekend, but it'll probably ruin the church. I'm like, like, like you need to work on your marketing skills, you know. Like, like, maybe you should write Hallmark cards with that kind of language, you know. And so I'm like, I'm like, fine, come. It's not my church anyway. Just come. We need help. And so uh, how many of you guys were here for the James Maloney Deliverance Week? Yeah. You will never forget that weekend. I don't know, the Lake family, that was your first weekend, and you're still here. You are our kind of people. I mean, it was, it was a wild weekend that cannot be described with words. Things were too holy and too funny at the same time. And so... So we went through the deliverance weekend, and God just got us free on some stuff. I'm, so I'm not saying, uh, you know, Christians are demon-possessed, but I do believe they can be harassed. They can be, you can have whatever level of influence you're willing to put up with, <laughs> okay? And so uh, the word in the New Testament is demonized. There's no word demon-possessed. It's a King James translation. But you can be harassed. You can give them influence in your life by letting them alter your thinking. So we got free. And so the next year we went to Uganda, which I think about a year and a half ago, we went there, and uh, the demons are manifesting. So we had this room called the demon tent, but then we decided to call it the freedom tent. How many of you know that little, that little switch can make a big difference? We're like, well, how about the freedom tent? And so, I mean, they're manifesting violently this time. And so we'd have some big, strong Ugandans would carry them on their shoulders. And so there's a room, you know, picture like 10 demoniacs, you know. They're, and so they're flailing so hard and trying to hurt themselves on the cement floor. We're having to kind of like restrain them so they don't bash their heads in. 
And uh, when one demon would come in, all the other demons would sense it, and they would all increase. It was just just like, oh, my gosh. So so it actually got to be a lot of fun, though, because they were getting free one after another. And uh, they're still levitating. I remember uh, Jordan, our youth pastor, was on top of this lady because she was so violent. He was kind of on top of her legs. And she went from a laying position to a standing up position without using her hands. Just, just like levitated up. And Jordan was on her legs, and he's riding him going, what's happening? <laughs> as, he, as he's riding up, I'm like, Oh, yeah, this is, this is, I remember this. And so, but uh, we were able to get uh, 30 out of 30 of the demoniacs uh, healed, most of them within 30 seconds. And so what happened there is we had to take that inner territory first. There, there's some things that we needed to get free of so that we were able to free other people. And it, this isn't just for the demoniacs, okay? So, you know, we believe that God has not put you here on earth just to be like a warehouse, you know, let's have everybody hide in the church until they die and we go to heaven. We're actually here to transform society. When he, when he names you things like salt, light, and leaven, those things have an influence in everything they touch. And so your assignment, wherever you're stationed, that's your ministry post. You're an outpost of the kingdom. And so God wants you to take that inner territory so you can take outer territory. Here's the bad, here's the bad thing. The way that you take inner territory is through adversity. It's not, it, trials are the gymnasium in which you acquire spiritual strength. I wish it was like lay hands and you're like, oh my gosh, I just doubled in awesomeness. Like, wow, that's amazing. And so um, a lot of people are praying for upgrades. God, I just want to upgrade. You know, I want to upgrade in my prophetic. I want to upgrade in, no one's praying to upgrade in patience that I know, but um, upgrade in whatever it might be. And here's the way you get an upgrade is God puts you in the exact opposite circumstance of the upgrade you're asking for. So a lot of people are praying that God would <clears throat> deliver them out of the situation when that's actually the stepping stone into their destiny, the very thing they've been praying for. So instead of cursing the darkness, recognize the reason that you're being attracted to darkness is because you were born to shine. Adversity is, when you, uh, is how you take that inner territory. It's when you're facing trials and testing and difficulties. Let's just call them contradictions. It's the exact opposite of the promises of the Bible. And I'm not saying that God is sending sickness on people. God does not send sickness on people. But uh, there's an enemy who can attack. We've got to recognize how to take our authority. But how many of you realize many, if not most, of your trials will come through people? How's your last family reunion? How are we doing? And so (laughs) so here's what God's wanting you to, part of the inner territory you're learning to take, is how to love without loopholes. Yeah, I'll love this person if they vote like me, if they're the same color as me, if they think like me, if they dress like me, if they're in the same stream, if they're, you know, whatever that might be. God's teaching us to love without loopholes. And so adversity is building that character and strength. Warfare is using that character and strength that was built to take authority and to take land. So if you turn with me your iPhones to James chapter 1, James chapter 1, verse 2 from the Passion Translation. My fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties... See it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. Let me read that again. My fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy you can. How many of you notice God has a different way of thinking? I mean, this is, this is absolutely bizarre here. If you, think, if you see things from his perspective, adversity is something to get excited about. I mean, imagine you call your friend, you're like, dude, I'm in the middle of a trial. And your friend's like, I am so jealous. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. That, that's how heaven's actually talking about this thing. It's the testing of your faith. It's when the, uh, the, the circumstances are the exact opposite. So let me prophesy to you. You guys ready for this? 
Yea, that I say unto you, you have either just come out of a trial, or you are in the middle of a trial, or yea, that I say you are about to walk into a trial. So you've got that going for you. Are you guys alive here? Why would heaven say you should rejoice when there's difficulty? Verse 3. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. One translation says heroic endurance. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. What's the goal of that adversity? Why is God allowing something to come in your life that's difficult, that's opposite to the promise? It's because he wants you to be lacking in nothing. See, when there's a difficulty in your life, God's trying to add something from your life, not take something away. The whole point of a trial is to give you something, not taking something away from you. And when you recognize that, it will cause you to rejoice. You know, how you, how you start off in something is how you're going to finish. And so if you, if you have a difficult situation that comes in your life, you're like, this stinks. Oh, man, I knew it was going to be a bad day. Da-da-da-da. You've stepped into the flesh, which is your life apart from divine influence. And how many of you know, if you start off in the flesh, you're not going to suddenly end in the spirit magically. Like, all of a sudden, you're just complaining up a storm, and all of a sudden, there's just like a heaven invasion. We need to get a perspective of this thing. Here, here's a phrase that I've been saying lately, because I, I, I feel like the Lord is really highlighting this to a season, because he wants us to take this inner territory, because he's got external territory for you and I to take. And here's the, here's the phrase. Here's my chance. Something difficult comes. I'm talking to someone with obnoxious personality disorder or whatever it might be. And um, you can just feel that thing just begin to rise up. You know, you're getting a little defensive. You know, you've got a sarcastic one-liner for them or whatever that thing might be. Uh, you just want to avoid them. You just want to just put them in a, in a category where, you know, you don't have to love them. And so uh, here's my chance. Here's my chance. And, and so when I, when, however you begin that thing is how you're going to end that thing. So when you recognize that God, I see what you're doing here. You're allowing me to take inner territory. There can be an excitement. It's like, man, um, I'm, you're getting ripped in the spirit. Let's just put it that way. This is, how, this, is how you, this is how you build spiritual muscles. When you start off in fear, doubt, and unbelief, you're going to wind up in the flesh and, uh, and no place good. I remember one time I got it right. And so we were, uh, I, I've told this story before, but uh, my wife and I, we own a house in North Carolina. And I think in... I think it was 2011, I was preaching a sermon series here on finances, and uh, I think it was like right in the middle, of, it was actually an 18-part series, which I did not realize was the most offensive thing a pastor could do. I didn't plan on doing 18, I only planned on doing six. So here I'm on week three, and I get a call from my tenant, and he says, uh, the foundation of the house is crumbling. I'm like, hmm, I'm not like a structural engineer, but there's nothing about that sentence that I like, you know, I don't understand all the intricacies of that, but, you know, that sounds kind of bad. And this is the phrase that came to me. God's the sneakiest person in the universe. I can't wait to see what he does. See, Mary and I, we had already, uh, we'd already given everything to the Lord. We'd already said, God, you own it all. We, we, we're holding these things loosely. And so my attitude was, God, I can't wait to see what you're going to do with your house. It, it wasn't like a, a lacking of responsibility, but there's this thing that came up. And, uh, and he said, oh, it's going to be about a $50,000 solution. I was like, ah, I can't wait to see what you're going to do, God. This is, I, didn't, I didn't have $50,000. And so, um, and so I, I don't know if you guys were here that, that Sunday, uh, but I said, I told the church the story, and I said, I don't know how this thing's going to end, but by the time this series is done, I'm going to have an answer uh, that's going to completely solve the solution. How many of you guys were there that Sunday, 2000? You guys remember that? And so I had, had no solution. Just stand up, just blurt these things out. You can listen on the tape, or I don't think they make tapes anymore. Maybe. <laughs> on the recording, man, I, I, you know, 
the 80s called. And so, um, <laughs> and so uh, I'm just kind of praying to say, join the Lord. And I get this idea, um, call your buddy Micah, Micah Vandenberg. And so uh, Micah's a buddy of mine, and, and uh, he lives in the same city that the house is in in North Carolina. So I call him up. I'm like, dude, I got, I got this problem. I don't, I just, can you just go check it out for me? I just had you come to mind. Just go check it out for me. So he checks it out, and the Lord gives him some idea that was a permanent solution for a $500 fix, and I got the tenant to pay for it. So I think it was like two weeks later, I stood in front of the church. I'm like, hey, remember that $50,000 problem? God solved it. And I, I believe it started because um, I started off in faith. God's the sneaky. I'm not saying like I was unshakable. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to paint myself as a, as a bigger hero. Jesus was the hero on that thing because that thing came up to me. God's the sneakiest person in the universe. And so when that fear would try to come up, I was able to take that word from God and do warfare against the, uh, the mind tactics of the enemy. Bill Johnson says something interesting. He said, God disciplines us so his blessings won't kill us. What is God after? Mature and complete, lacking in nothing. How is he going to get you there? By having your faith tested. You can't just pray like an impartation prayer of maturity. You know, people say, I love this saying, salvation is free, but maturity is expensive. Think of it this way. Trials are the gymnasium where you get spiritual strength. What happens when you exercise? Your muscles are torn down and they grow back stronger. What happens when your faith is tested? You feel torn down. You feel a little bit beat up. And then you uh, get out of your own strength and you come into the strength of another. And now you've taken that internal territory and that mess that you are in actually becomes your message. Listen, all of your ministry erupts out of your testimony. If you're like, I just don't know what I'm called to do. Well, what has God set you free from? Start there. And as you begin the areas that the Lord has set you free in, he has not just set you free in it. You actually have an anointing to be able to enforce that area of freedom in somebody else's life. And if you'll begin to step into those things that God's done for you and just, just open your eyes, I guarantee you, those people are being attracted to you. You're probably having conversations and going, yeah, I've been through that. Well, let me help you connect the dots is that that mess has become your message. And so here's what 2 Corinthians 1 says. It says the same comfort that God's given you to go through that difficulty, you can now break off the bread of your life and feed other people so they can get out of that same difficulty. You don't need further training. When he sets you free, he gives you power not only to be free, but to set other people free. So what has God done? What has God done for you? That's what he'll do through you. Start there. And as you begin to walk in that, your destiny will begin to unfold. Your testimony is somebody else's freedom. Your ministry comes out of your testimony. Let me just make this point. I believe that often your destiny... Oh, hold on, I thought I said it more clever. Okay. You're often attacked at your point of destiny. The area of your life that you feel the weakest in, that you stink in, I stink at relationships, I stink at money, I'm always sick, whatever that, that area is, I believe the enemy can see destiny on you and he's attacking you at that point to make you think the opposite, to make you think I'm actually no good at that. I could never be that. When I hear people make statements, oh, I could never do that, I'm like, oh man. You're, okay, you're not getting that from heaven. Heaven's not like, yay that I say to you, you can never do that. You're stink at that. So I, I don't know if you know this about me, but um, I had a severe fear of public speaking. Severe, like panic attack level. I didn't notice it until seventh grade. We had to do an oral report on, a, on like a biography, and I chose Harry Houdini. I was into magic tricks and all that, you know, card tricks and all that stuff. And so I, I got the, the magician's hat. I got the cape. And I got some little box I'm going to do this trick in. And so I'm sitting at a desk in the front of the classroom, and the panic hits me. 
and my leg is shaking so bad, uh, there was a girl in the front row, my foot hit her foot, and I screamed and jumped and walked out of the room. <laughs> Teacher catches me in the hallway and says, come back in, and I said, I can't, I can't even talk. And uh, she says, if you don't come back and do it tomorrow, you're going to get a zero and you're going to flunk the class. And so um, uh, she prophesied that to me. And so uh, I get home, and so, you know, my dad's working with me. They're praying for me. I'm like, Dad, my mouth was so dry. He's like, here, take this little piece of chocolate, put it in the corner of your mouth. It'll restore moisture. I'm practicing, doing all the things I could do. And so, uh, I, you know, I choked my way through it, did it. So I uh, get to college. And, uh, you know, all through high school, whenever there'd be a Bible study where they would call on somebody to, like, read a verse out loud, I'd get panic attacks. I couldn't even read scripture out loud. I couldn't even sit there and read. And so I just would never go to the Bible study again. When I was in college, if they had teachers that called on students in the middle of the class, I dropped the class. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't take the, the panic attack from it. So in order to graduate from the <clears throat> University of Michigan, we had to, in the, in the, the program I was in, we had to teach a, a, a three-hour seminar to all the seniors. They need Jesus too. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> I always say, you guys need to believe the scripture. You know, the lion will lay down with the lamb. The buck I will lay down with the wolverine. It's going to happen someday. But some of you aren't even sure you want that. So anyway, so it, we had to teach a three-hour class, which, um, you, you know, that's a long time, you know. And so uh, I taught and uh, I did this thing on Alzheimer's. And so I was trying to, like, I brought, I got these cow brains from, like, this butcher. And I'm, like, trying to, like, make it, because I knew I was going to be, I knew I was going to stink up there. So I'm like, I might as well make it as entertaining as possible. So I'm, I mean, it's terrible. I'm, I'm choking. I'm, you know, I'm panicking up there. And uh, when I get done, uh, the teacher, his only feedback was, well, at least you didn't faint. <laughs> so then my friends had some other classes with them. And they said that he was making fun of me to the other classes, saying that I demonstrated Alzheimer's more than taught about it. So I had that going for me. So then my first, uh, so then I had this pastor who's like, Jim, I think that there's a call of God on you to preach, and I want you to teach. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, what, like, what evidence have you seen? And so I, uh, I, I did some message on the blood of Jesus. I basically stole some stuff from a Larry Lee book that had touched me and tried to, like, teach it. And we had taken communion right before, um, no, that one was in communion. So I'm up there, and my mouth is so dry. I'm, I'm teaching in, in this college group, about 30 people. My mouth is so dry, my mouth is going... When I'm talking, like every syllable is, and, uh, and I'm realizing this, I'm like, oh my goodness. And so I had this little cup of punch, and so I tried to drink it, and it was like my tongue was covered in Teflon, and none of the moisture went into my tongue. So now I'm really panicking, and I'm up there. And, but there was one girl in the front row, row named Catherine, and she looked like she was really getting touched. I mean, she, her eyes were closed, and I was like, it's worth it for the one. It's worth it for the one. So afterwards, I... Um, I, uh, I talked to Catherine, and Catherine says, uh, Jim, I didn't really hear what you said. Uh, I spent the whole time praying that the Lord would restore moisture to your mouth. <laughs> so then I feel like the Lord calls me into ministry, so I, I, um, I stopped pursuing medical school. I went to uh, seminary, and the whole time I'm in seminary, I'm like, I feel like I'm going to have to preach at some point if I'm a pastor. Like, I just, you know, I just feel like it's probably it's going to happen at some point. Like, how is this going to happen, God? Like, I, you know, I, I can't talk. And, um, and so my parents, uh, the, the church that they went to, the pastor's like, oh, Jim's in seminary. You know, let's have him speak at the church. And so, uh, so it's my first sermon at a church. Here it is. And so I did a message. Actually, I did it on trials. I did it on James chapter 1. It's called Meet Your New Friend, Trials, interestingly enough. And so I get up there, and we had taken communion right before, and uh, my mouth was so dry, I couldn't get the, the cardboard wafer. Remember the cardboard wafer? I think we still have them here. Um, I didn't have enough moisture to swallow the wafer. 
And so I'm, now I'm like, oh my gosh, like I, I can't talk with bread in my mouth, you know? So I'm up there, and um, I had my notes typed out on paper, and there was a, a bottle of anointing oil. My hands were shaking, so I went to get my notes, and I knocked over the anointing oil, and it smeared the whole first page of my notes, so I couldn't read it. And so I thought I'd make a joke, and I said, well, hey, maybe now at least my notes will be anointed. No laughter. <laughs> Just panic attack. And so my first two or three years at Zion, I had a lot of digestive issues just from the fear of getting up here every single Sunday. And so I would sit there, and I would just wrestle with the Lord. And there was some twisted religious thing that someone said to me one time. They said, Jim, it's good for you to be nervous. You should be nervous if you're not nervous. It keeps you dependent on God. That's a lie. And so I believe this thing. And so here I am thinking that I am just honoring the Lord with this thorn in the flesh, but just struggling through this fear and anxiety and trips to the bathroom and all that good action. It's a great way to lose weight. Anyway, <clears throat> and so uh, here I am thinking I'm pleasing the Lord. And so I, then I go and get a sozo. Sozo is a ministry where you, uh, the Lord just kind of tells you truth that sets you free. And so I'm stomach problems, you know, just fear every single, you know, uh, every single Sunday. I, I used to tell me, I, I said, if I sweat any more in my armpits, I think I could grow rice. Like, this is getting embarrassing up here. And so... Um, so the sozo, here, here was the lie, is, um, is the Lord said, uh, Jim, fear and anxiety is not normal in my kingdom. How about peace and confidence? I was like, man, that sounds so much better. That sounds so much better. And so um, since then, so I was like, okay, you know, so I'm like, Lord, I just forgive me for believing that lie that this was pleasing to you. Of course you're a good dad. You wouldn't want your kids in fear and confidence. And so, uh, yeah, I just broke that, you know, just broke that lie off of me, and I don't get nervous anymore. You know, I like, you know, sometimes adrenaline hits you, you're a little bit excited, that's a little bit different, but I don't, I don't have that fear anymore and, uh, when, once that lie was exposed. But what was happening? You know, part of my calling is public speaking, and here I was being attacked in that very point of destiny. And I thought, I'm no good at this. I can't do that. I can't even read Bible verse out loud. I can't even take a class where the teacher's going to call on you. And I'm just wondering how many of you are in here who have that crippling fear of public speaking? How many of you are in here that feel like your health has always been attacked? Or every time you take one step forward with your finances, it's, it's four steps back. And uh, I'm just here to tell you, I believe that it's a confirmation in reverse of what, you, of what your destiny actually is. What's that area of your life that just seems to be, I just can't get past this thing? What if that's the very area that you're called to shine in? Maybe not in your own strength. I couldn't do it in my own strength. For, for me, the only way I got out of it, I don't I mean to just make this all about me, I'm just, this is just my story, is I remember the first Sunday I got free from that thing and it was trying to come back on me. And it was like, you know, nothing's changed. You know, some little mind shift, that doesn't do anything. And the only way I could do it was I could say, Lord, I'm going to meet you up here. It was, like, Lord, I, it was like an act of faith, Lord God, when I step into here, I'm stepping into you. And so, um, and so th finally I had the revelation, oh, I could step into him in my seat. It took me probably a couple years to get that revelation, you know. You know, there's, you know, that 20-foot difference. He could meet me back 20, 20 yards earlier. But it's actually in your weaknesses when you're made strong. I know that sounds weird. When you're standing, then you're sitting. No, 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 it's not like that. It's when you recognize you can't do it in your own strength that his strength can come in. If you begin to get confident and think that you're pretty good at this thing, then you're going to be left in your own strength. How are we doing? You cannot fail the tests of God. You just get to take them again and again and again. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you are going through the same situation over and over and over again? Guess what's happening is you're getting to take the test over and over again. 
And sometimes God's building strength upon strength. And so it feels like you're going around the same mountain. But as you get closer to the top, to the top of the mountain, those cycles get shorter. And so you're like, man, these things just keep, keep happening. And you've actually been taking territory. Is this the enemy trying to chip away at you at the same test? And God just using it to build strength. There's an interesting passage where he talks about the potter and the clay. God says, I'm the potter, you're the clay. And it's this picture of him molding you into this perfect masterpiece. I want you to think about how a pot is made. It's made through pressure and through cycles. <laughs> it spins around again and again and again. And there's pressure applied. And that's how you're formed in the very thing that God's calling you to be. If you don't take, hold, take and hold your own internal territory, you'll lose the external territory as well. God cannot use you greatly until you've been tested deeply. Yeah, I didn't think I'd get any amens in that one. I want to change the world. This person cut me off in traffic. So-and-so didn't say hi to me. I'm not getting the attention I deserve. Might be some room to grow there. So what do you do during these times of contradiction, uh, these times of adversity? Listen to 1 Timothy 1.18. So Timothy, my son, I'm entrusting you with this responsibility in keeping with the very first prophecies that were spoken over your life and are now in the process of fulfillment in this great work of ministry in keeping with the prophecies spoken over you. With this encouragement, ready for this, Use your prophecies as weapons as you wage spiritual warfare by faith and with a clean conscience. Clean conscience means I'm recognizing that I'm righteous because of what Jesus has done, not because of what I do. That's staying sun-focused, not sin-focused. We've dealt with that the last couple of weeks. I'll probably hit it some more in these, in these coming weeks here. With this encouragement, use your prophecies as weapons as you wage warfare. Here's what a prophecy is. is God, he's already in your future. He sees the person that you're going to become. He sees his destinies and his plans. And so he's coming to you from your future into your present, giving you information that you need to have strength to become that kind of person. They're literally snapshots of you in the future coming to you in the present. So he will give you strength to go, ah, I want to become that person. War according to the prophecies spoken over you. God's saying it's been written down already. I've told you before this moment what's going to be the outcome. And it gives you strength. So here's what you need to do. You, gang, in this season, you need to get out those prophetic words and find the ones that actually speak to you. And there's some that are like, oh, that's kind of cool. But then there's, I mean, we need to take these things seriously. This is God coming to you from your future with, with, with present information. Come on in, whoever's knocking there. And so um, the, uh, I want you to get this picture. So what are those words that maybe they've been, there's been some recurring themes in them. Like you've had this word spoken over you two or three times. Okay, what does it mean to do warfare with them? Here's what I believe it means. It believes you, you find those one or two or three words that are just, they feel like now words. There's more weight on them now than there is in other seasons. There's, there's weight on them. And you declare them until there's a change in emotional state where you actually believe them. It's one thing to read the word and go, I don't know how that's ever going to happen. Well, you don't need to know how it's going to happen. That's why it's a prophecy. You, you can't see how that's going to happen. So he's coming and tell you what it's going to look like. But for you to wage war with your prophetic words is for you to come, and I believe it's for you to declare those things, come into agreement with them until there's actually a change in your emotional state, and then it becomes a decree and causes that very thing to happen. This is the quietest bunch I've been around. What's that? It's hot bread. It's hot bread. Yeah, burning the mouth. 
there's a, I, I'm, I'm closing with this. I think I am. Yep, I am. So there was a, uh, there was a, a professor at a university who did a 30-year study on people coming into their destiny, specifically Christians coming into their destiny. And uh, he, he, came, he coined this t- uh, term convergence. Okay, there's a guy's named Robert Clinton. Maybe you've heard Lance Wallen talk about convergence. So he got it from Robert Clinton and uh, the five stages. And so he, he, this is a guy who studied this for 30 years, and he found that 80% of people do not get into their destiny. 80% of people never make it to the point where what they love to do most, what they were born to do, uh, you know, where all those things actually come into, uh, here's a description of Convergence is that phase of life where it all comes together. It happens when the work you do is the work you were created and called to do, and you enter into that role that frees you to utilize 100% of your gifts, talent, and acquired skills. It leads to levels of fulfillment which nothing else compares it's like that vortex that sucks you into itself, where it's like everything just, it's like I was born for this moment, and now you're in a role that enables you to do that, okay? Uh, typically, it's people in their 40s and 50s, uh, just because of this one thing, is it takes time for you to have the character to carry the weight of the assignment. It can be, you cannot skip steps, but you can speed up the process through obedience and through intense pain. The only accelerator to this process is to obey through the pain. And here's what he found. The reason, the number one reason that 80% of Christians do not enter into their convergence zone is they cannot endure those times of contradiction, those character tests, those internal things. The enemy gets in their head and begins to just, oh, they they get discouraged. Gang, I'm just saying, I, I believe God's got something different for this group here. Listen, you know, I just don't believe you come to a church like this because... You got nothing better to do. I mean, you know, you can go to a church with shorter services and better this and that. But I believe you're here because um, God's raising you up to do something different. You know, this is an equipping center. And the 80% were not able to endure the contradictions. They weren't able to have that staying power, that heroic endurance, to have that kind of vision of, hold on, this is actually producing a strength in me. I'm taking internal territory that's going to enable me to take that external territory in that prophetic word. 80% is because they could not pass the character tests. Before you find your favor, you'll encounter the strong man in your head to discourage you and make you feel like you're not ready. Before you find your favor, you'll encounter the strong man in your head to discourage you and make you feel like you're not ready. So what do we do? James 1, 5 through 8. This is, this is, right, we just got done reading about trials and rejoice. Here is an English Standard Version. If any relax wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. In other words, God's not giving with a closed fist and we're trying to pry it open. He gives with an open hand promiscuously, generously, over and over again. God, I need wisdom. So here's what I want to do. I want to end this with, uh, I want to have us get in groups of two. You gotta, one is gonna, what we're going to do now, your homework assignment is going to be go dig out those prophetic words. Find the one, read them until you feel the one or two that have weight on them. And I want you to begin to declare those things until there's a change in an emotional state where you begin to actually believe it. You're going to do warfare with those prophetic words. And I guarantee you, whatever you're going through right now, God's already given it to you in a prophetic word in this last 12 to 24 months. I find that, I find about, if I look about 12 to 18 months ago, you know, I, you know they don't make sense at the time. And I go back and I'm like, oh my word. I needed this right now. I forgot all about this word. This is why when someone gives you a word, you don't go, oh, that's cool. You go write it down. 
You know, I, I got them all on a, on a OneNote program, and I, I review them as part of my morning, morning, part of my morning routine is to do that. So I'll, I'll, re, I'll remind you of your homework here in a second. Sorry, sorry, this feels a little bit scrambled because I put it together at like 8.30 this morning, okay? So don't think I wasn't spending time on you guys. I had a really nice one put together, but I just I couldn't get away from this phrase. I was just like, okay. So here's what I want you to do. I want you guys to stand up. And take out your wallets. I'm kidding. That's just terrible. <laughs> here's what I want you to do. Get in groups of two or three. And just here's the question. Um, what adversity are you going through where you need wisdom? What adversity are you going through? And then he says, ask for wisdom. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for wisdom and whatever you get for the person. You know, if you, if you feel led to pray for something else or pray in a specific area. I'm not saying you're going to literally give them that word of wisdom. But um, Paul said you could pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation for somebody else. When he said, Lord, I pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation, he wasn't praying for himself. He was praying for somebody else. So what I want us to do is just to recognize the power that's, that, that we carry to do that, to pray that on somebody else. And this week, expect wisdom. And this week, as you're doing warfare with those prophetic words, you're going to be taking internal territory so that prophetic word can be fulfilled with the external territory. Sound good? Groups of two or three. We're just going to take a few minutes. I just take about a minute or two on each person, and what's the adversity that you're going through that you need wisdom, and then pray wisdom on that person. Anything else the Lord gives you, go for it.